Hey, Downtown Church, and welcome back to the 7-Minute Sunday School. This week, we're talking about Exodus 12, one of the most important chapters in the book of Exodus, and indeed the whole Bible. In our last video, we looked at this contest between Yahweh as the true God and Pharaoh as the pretender God through the plagues in Egypt. And at the end of chapter 11, we hear again about this final plague in which God will strike down the firstborn of every Egyptian household, from Pharaoh on his throne to the person at the very bottom of the social pyramid. It is a difficult word of judgment, but we have to remember that this word of judgment is God's act of justice on Pharaoh and the Egyptians who had tried to kill God's own firstborn son, Israel, through their infanticide against the Israelite children, and who had kept God's firstborn son from life with God through their harsh slavery, a slavery that we can be sure not only Pharaoh, but the Egyptian community as a whole participated in. Indeed, we're also reminded in Exodus and in Exodus 12 that this judgment of God's, this plague, the death of the firstborn, is also judgment on Egyptians, Egypt's gods. It is a confrontation with the pretender idols that have enslaved and oppressed God's people. And at the end of chapter 11, we hear about this death of the firstborn plague. We expect, as it has in all the other parts of the plague cycle, to go right on to the fulfillment. Instead, the text pauses in chapter 12, and we discover uniquely that the Israelites have some work to do in this, this plague, that they are to have a feast on the very night of this plague when God will strike down the firstborn of Egypt, and they're to have a feast that is going to be called the Feast of Passover. And not only is, are there, is there going to be a feast where they participate in God's deliverance from Egypt through this feast, but this is a feast that they're going to celebrate every year. Indeed, this feast is going to be the, the new year. It's going to change the beginning of their year. God is telling them, what I'm about to do by bringing you out of Egypt, giving you this Passover feast, is going to change everything. Your calendar begins at this moment. Well, what's going on at this feast? Well, a number of things. First of all, the Israelites are called to sacrifice a lamb. Now, we often forget, because most of us are not, not farmers, the only way you eat meat is if you kill an animal. So part of what's going on is the lambs are providing a meal, a feast, that wouldn't be all that common for poor oppressed slaves in Egypt to eat meat. But it's also the case that this meat is a sacrifice. The lamb gives up its blood as a sacrifice for the Israelite people. How does that work? Well, elsewhere we hear in the Old Testament again and again when the Bible talks about sacrifice, that the life is in the blood. So on the one hand, this blood of the lamb is going to be smeared across the doorframe and God will see it. And when he sees the life that the lamb has given by shedding its blood, then that will uh, uh, cover the Israelites and protect them from the death that God is bringing on the Egyptians. At the same time, because human sin and impurity is a way of bringing death on ourselves, in the sacrificial system, the life that's in the blood of the animal is also associated with purifying God's people for service. And so similarly, this act of sacrificing the lamb and putting the blood on the doorposts is a purification ritual. It's a way of setting apart God's people as holy. And we shouldn't miss the fact that it also requires the people of God to publicly cast their lot with God and with his people. 
It's their way of saying, we stand with God. We are a part of this community. That's part, it seems to me, what's happening with the sacrifice of the lamb. But there's also uh, symbols and signs that they eat this meal that show that the people of God are leaving in haste. They eat dressed for the road. They eat with their staff in their hands. They have unleavened bread, bread that's not allowed to rise, to remind them that they're going to have to leave Egypt quickly when God brings them out. And they're going to reenact this feast year by year. Why? On the one hand, to remind themselves that this is the day of salvation. This is the salvation story for the people of God. That when the most powerful nation on earth oppressed them, claiming to be God, used them and exploited them, their God heard their cries, came down and brought them out, liberated them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. The people are never to forget this. And the feast will be a way for each generation to, in a sense, reenact and participate in this liberation. That's why the text tells us that a huge part of the point is so that when children later on ask, why are we doing this? The father and mother will tell the children, because the Lord brought us out of Egypt and the Lord spared our households. Now, when the people hear about this feast, when they hear about what God's going to do, they fall down and worship, which is remarkable because they haven't worshiped God since they first heard the good news that Moses and Aaron brought about, brought to them about God caring about them. And the last time that Moses told the people that God cared about them, they couldn't believe it. They didn't believe it because of their harsh slavery. But here we see that God's redeeming action, his liberating action for the plagues has demonstrated to the people that he can be trusted, that he cares about them. So we're seeing this shift in the people of God from doubting because of the harshness of their slavery to believing that God is the true king, the true Lord who can defeat the Pharaoh, who can overcome the oppression of Egypt to bring his people out. Now they are ready to cast their lot with Yahweh, but not just them. Because after the plague comes, after the death of the firstborn, the Egyptians send the Israelites out. They lay them down with goods, which serve as sort of a form of, of reparation, of repairing some of the damage of slavery. And the Israelites are on their way, leaving the house of bondage. And yet the text tells us that with them goes a mixed multitude, a group of people who are not Israelites. Who are these people? Certainly they include Egyptians and other ethnic groups who cast their lot with God, who participate in God's liberation because they're willing to stand with God's people and under God's lordship. And it's not a mistake that then at the end of chapter 12, when Yahweh again gives instructions about Passover, he first says, this is only for Israelites. But then he clarifies, any outsider, including this mixed multitude, presumably that's with you, that wants to eat of the Passover, they just become circumcised and then they can eat the Passover. In other words, God is saying that anyone who is willing to join the people of God, willing to take on themselves the sign of God's covenant, can not only participate in the Exodus, but can become a part of the covenant community, can become Exodus people. It shows us that all that's going on here is not about ethnicity, it's about identity. God is bringing judgment on those who identify themselves with Pharaoh and his idolatry and his injustice. And he's bringing liberation on any who are willing to identify themselves with the people of God and with the Yahweh, the Lord who brings his people out. It's an incredible story. It's one of the most important stories in all of the Old Testament. 
And this is what I want you to do with it this week. I invite you this week to read this story several times, to get it deep into your hearts and minds. And as you do, I want to remind you that this Passover feast isn't just the salvation story of the Old Testament. It's also the feast that is the backdrop of our own Lord's Supper feast. Because, of course, it was at a Passover meal that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, offering bread and wine as symbols of his redemption. So as you get this text deep into your hearts, and as you reflect on how it serves as the backdrop for our own Lord's Supper, how might that transform the way we think about what we're doing at the Lord's Supper? And how might this story transform the way we think about our own life with God? Soak in this text this week. See you next time.